0: Good morning. Thank you so much for being here. It's so good to have you. My name is Daniel. I'm the pastor here. And today is the beginning of a six-week conversation about marriage and relationship. And I know what you're thinking. All of the women in the room right now are thinking, I have been wondering when he is going to start talking about relationships. And all the guys in the room are thinking, I was just getting to like this guy. And now we got to have this conversation. But I really do think that men and women view relationships a little bit differently. And so I want to let you know that in just a moment, I'm going to do a little bit of overgeneralization. And if, I, if it is not accurately Reflective of your own experience, I, I hope that you don't get upset with me. But I do think that sometimes men and women view things a little bit differently. And I think the more difficult perspective to understand is the men's perspective. And so I want to take this as an opportunity to help all of us understand how men respond to conversations like the ones that we're going to have over the next six weeks. And so I'm going to do a little bit of framing for us this morning. And I think that oftentimes, Men view relationships the same way that most of us think about cars. Men view relationships the same way that most of us think about cars. We want it to work, and we don't want to work on it, if that makes sense. We don't want to work on it. We just want the relationship to work the way that we hope it will. And so when someone says, when a woman or a spouse or a significant other in our life tells us that they want to talk about the relationship, this is how men translate translates that, that phrase, they think that they, they, what they hear is that there's something wrong with us and you know how to fix it. That's how men translate that. Another way of understanding it is let's say that you are going over to your boyfriend's house and maybe he's working on the car and he opens up the hood of the car and you see him working in the hood of the car and you ask him, is something wrong with the car? He says, no, I'm just checking on it. And you're thinking, unless the car is broke down on the side of the road, why do you need to check on the engine of the car? That is how guys view relationships. If it's not broke down on the side of the road, do we really need to talk about relationships? And that may be a sad, inaccurate example of what you've experienced, but the answer is yes. We have to talk about relationships, and this is the reason why. Is because every single one of us long and desire to have thriving and growing relationships. And maybe we long for that most in the most significant relationship that we have of all, our marriage relationship. And this is sort of the general principle, is that great marriages don't happen on accident. They always happen on purpose. Great marriages don't happen on accident. They always happen on purpose. And I think that it is surprising when you think about all the research and all the investment that you put into making some of the biggest life decisions that you will make. When you think about the investment and the time that you took to think about which college you were going to go to, or maybe where you were going to live, or the type of career that you wanted to have, or think about how much planning we put into the vacations that we go on. And yet we've put so little value and we prepare so little for maybe the biggest decision of our life, marriage. And it's crazy to think that when we understand the consistent statistic around marriage over the last two decades, that 50% of all marriages end in divorce. It's scary to think about the damage that that causes in people's lives, right? You all probably know firsthand at some level or another the damage and the pain that results from divorce. And yet so little of us do very much to prepare for the biggest decision of our lives. And so if you're single, if you're dating, if you're engaged, if you're married, and even if you're divorced, this series is for you. Because what we're going to do over the next six weeks is we're really going to begin talking about how we can build healthier marriages. And in general, how do we build healthier relationships? And I want to suggest something That may be a radical shift to the perspective that we have on marriage. And maybe we can form it in the way of a few questions. That what if marriage was more about what God was forming in us than what he was trying to do for us? What if in the pursuit of a life-giving, satisfying marriage, he was going to shape us into the best version of ourself? What if God intended to use marriage as our lifelong incubator for spiritual growth. And what if in the end, marriage was not ultimately about your happiness as much as marriage was about your holiness? And maybe the byproduct of your holiness produces a happy marriage, but the goal of marriage, perhaps in God's eyes, is not ultimately about your happiness, but it is about the character and the person that he is trying to form in you along the way. So that's what we're going to talk about. And this week, I want to begin by addressing some of the hopes, dreams, and desires that we all have when we enter into marriage. And I want to let you know that this morning, it's going to take me a little bit longer to get to the Bible verse that we're going to use, and we're not going to cover as much Bible this morning as we normally do. So I hope that doesn't offend you, but I really want to take a little bit of time to really frame the series that we're going to be talking about for the next six weeks. And so that's why it's going to take me a little bit longer to get to the verse. But this week, we're going to talk about hopes, dreams, and desires. And we all walk into marriage with a box of hopes, dreams, and desires, right? We walk in with hopes about what we think the future is going to be like, we have dreams of what life will look like and our circumstances in the future. We have desires for fulfillment and satisfaction and joy and companionship and marriage. I think all of us have that. And sometimes these hopes, dreams, and desires have to do with our financial future. All of us have probably have some image or picture of what we hope our finances will look like in the future. Sometimes these dreams and desires relate to what we hope our family will look like, how many kids we're going to have, what birth order our children will come in, how many boys, how many girls, if you think about that. It's, if you're a first-time parent or you haven't been a parent, that's like a big deal for a lot of people. Like, what are you going to have first? Sometimes you have hopes, dreams, and desires regarding parenting. You have dreams and desires regarding your career or even like your leisure, like free time, what you as a family or you in, in your marriage will do for fun. You sometimes have these hopes, dreams, and desires of the level of emotional connectedness and romance in the relationship. And whatever it is, Like we all walk into this marriage relationship or in any of these significant relationships in our life with this box of dreams and desires that have been produced from somewhere. And the question is, where does it come from? Where do all these dreams and desires and hopes for our marriage, where, did, where are they born out of? They come from a few different sources. The first is what you've seen, what you've witnessed as expectations of marriage on social media, maybe, right? You see like your friends getting married and what the wedding day looks like and what they do after marriage and they're out at like some fancy cafe eating uh, avocado bread. (laughs) And they're like, man, that looks good. That That looks like a good thing. You watch movies, you read romantic novels and Slowly, these begin to flood your box of hope, dreams, and desires, and it gives you a picture of what you hope for in marriage. The other source is that you put stuff in there based on what you've heard, what others have told you you should expect in marriage, what your friends tell you that marriage is going to be like. When I was engaged, I had a friend of mine. I wasn't going to tell you that he's a pastor, but he is a pastor. Uh, and he gave me some advice. And he said, Daniel, I hear, and he was an older pastor, he said, Daniel, I hear you're getting married." In a few weeks, I said, yeah, I am. He's like, do you want some advice? I said, absolutely. I was young. I was feeding off advice from anybody. And, uh, and he sat there and he said, Daniel, let me give you a little bit of advice about what you can expect in marriage. He said, marriage is like a hot bath. Once you get in, it ain't so hot after a while. <laughs> I said, okay. <laughs> and then he went on to tell me, uh, he gave me another illustration. He said, Daniel, let me, let me give you a little bit more insight. Marriage is like a phone call in the middle of the night. You get a ring and then you wake up. And so, he was a pastor. He was one of the spiritual influences of my life. So if that says anything about what you hear today, you understand. But so much of what we fill into that box comes from what we've heard from other people. But the most important thing that influences your hopes, your dreams, and your desires for marriage is what you have experienced yourself. The primary thing that feeds into this box is the byproduct of what we have experienced in our own lives. And and we really fill our box with two different things from our own experience. The first thing is we fill it with things that we do not want to repeat, right? And all of us can probably think about our own home life and the marriages that we've observed, and we have sort of delegated this section of our box to this area where we do not want to repeat what we have seen. Maybe it was the way that your parents dealt with conflict or maybe the way that they mishandled money or the way that they disciplined you and your siblings or the way that they spoke to each other. There are parts of your most important relationships that have been established as a normal pattern of operation in your marriage in response to things that you do not want to repeat about your own experience. But then there's another section of things that you loved about your experience and about your home life. And you seek to fill your box with a lot of these things. These are the things that you want to repeat. I want to have Thanksgiving at my house every year the same way that my mom had Thanksgiving. I'm going to make the turkey the same way that my mom makes the turkey. I'm going to use the same stuffing recipe that my mom used. And we're going to have the same Christmas traditions that we had as kids. And we're going to assume all the same responsibilities and all the same routines that my parents uh, assumed, And I want that for my marriage and in my relationship. But in the end, this is the problem. Whether good or bad, whether you're trying to recreate or eliminate parts of your experience, what goes into your box of hopes, dreams, and desires is still all about you. It is all about you. It is all about what you want to see happen in this relationship. And this is the danger of the box is that any time that we are trying and attempting to recreate or avoid something from the past, it transforms these hopes, dreams, and desires into expectations. You transform these things that you label with something that is beautiful, but then they turn into expectations. And when they happen in the context of marriage or a relationship, the way that it typically plays out is you have your box of hope, dreams, and expectations, and it is full of all these life experiences that you love or things that you don't like, and you hand them to the other person that you're in a relationship with, and you say, good luck, make it happen. And you turn something that was perhaps beautiful, and you make it a burden on someone. And it's challenging. And this is sort of the way that people respond to uh, an expectation heavy relationship. Number one, we leave. They say, I didn't realize that you thought I was going to stay home with the kids. This isn't what I signed up for. I intended to have a career. I don't want to be in this relationship. You can't expect me to be romantic all the time, you can't expect me to live up to the standards of Hollywood and the romantic comedies that you watch. I go to work and I come home and you expect me to still clean? You should be making more money for our family. I thought we were going to be able to put our kids in the best education system. You're not like my dad. You're not like my mom. And slowly, as you realize that you cannot fulfill someone else's expectations, you become disillusioned with their box and you leave. Number two, we win. Another way to describe this response is that we manipulate. One person has perhaps a stronger personality type. Maybe they're more stubborn. Maybe they're more persuasive. And somehow you're able to convince your spouse or your partner that their box is bad and your box is good. You convince them that your box is actually the more logical way of thinking about the future, that your hopes and dreams and desires really make the most sense for your relationship. And what happens is that in that scenario, you win in the moment, but you lose in the marriage. Number three, we conform. We become someone we're not to compensate for someone who will not accept us for who we are. Let me say that one more time. When your relationship is filled with expectations that people can't live up to, sometimes we conform and we become someone we're not to compensate for someone who will not accept us for who we are. And this is by far the slowest and most painful way to destroy a relationship. Because what we've done is we've sort of abandoned who we are to make someone else happy. And truthfully, this does work for a little while, but in the end what happens is that both people lose respect for each other. Number four, we compromise. And a lot of people really think that this is sort of the right decision. I'm going to do my part, you're going to do your part, and we can get along. And this really is the best approach for a natural pragmatist. If you are naturally pragmatic, you just want to get the job done. You don't care exactly how it gets done. You just want to make sure that everyone on the team is pulling their own weight. But the problem with the compromise strategy is that there tends to be a lot of scorekeeping. There tends to be a lot of scorekeeping. You really want to make sure that they're doing their part and you're doing your part. And if they don't quite hold up their end of the bargain that day, you're going to let them know that you did more house cleaning than they did. That you folded more clothes than they did. You changed more diapers than they did. I got up in the middle of the night three times, honey. You only got up twice. But that is what compromise produces. And and slowly you become on guard so that you don't get taken advantage of. And slowly over time what happens is that it begins to diminish the trust in the relationship. And the problem with the compromise strategy at its core is that it is fueled by commitment to the wrong thing. Compromise is fueled by commitment to the wrong thing. It is fueled by commitment to the marriage over the relationship. It is fueled by commitment to the marriage over the person. And this sounds, this doesn't sound bad, right? You've probably heard that. I'm committed to my marriage. But the problem is, is that nobody marries a marriage, right? Nobody marries a marriage. We marry people. And if you ever hear someone that says, I am committed to my marriage, what they are really saying is that I am committed to me, I'm committed to my future, I'm committed to my status. They're committed to the marriage. They're going to stick it out. But the problem is, is that you you have married a person. And the goal is not to be committed to the institution is to be committed to the life that you have unified yourself with. In some ways, if you get this far, it's fine. But it is not fun, and it doesn't become fulfilling. Can you imagine with me for a moment if on Valentine's Day, a man walks up to the door, he has a beautiful bouquet of flowers, and he knocks on the door, and this is his home. And his wife opens up the door, and she is like, Excited, right? She's like, you can see the smile on her face. Her eyes are glowing. And she just says, honey, thank you so much for this beautiful bouquet of flowers. I love them. They're gorgeous. They're wonderful. And his response is, it's my job. I'm committed to the marriage. That's sort of what it does. Compromise produces obligation, right? You do things out of duty because you're committed to the institution and not to the person. And ultimately, this is the problem that commitment, I'm sorry, compromise produces, is that it creates, and really this is any expectations that we have in marriage, it creates a debt-debtor relationship. When I put my hopes, dreams, desires all in a box, and I give them to my spouse, I am living under the assumption that they now owe me something. I've given it to them, and now you owe me your attention, You owe me your affection. You owe me enough to pay all of the bills and to provide for every desire that I have. You owe me to stay fit and to do the dishes. You owe me to clean the house and to fix up any projects around the house that we need taken care of. And the debt-debtor relationship really boils down to this one really, really dangerous phrase. That you're supposed to do it. That's what you're supposed to do. Let me ask you a question. How much gratitude do you express to people who pay you what they owe you? How grateful are you to people who have given you what they owe you? How much gratitude do you express to people who meet the minimum expectation? Hardly any. Right, we are not grateful for what we have come to expect people to do. We are not grateful for what we think people should be doing anyway. And so this is the principle, is that expectations limit the potential for love to be recognized and expressed. Expectations limit the potential for love to be recognized and expressed. And this is what gratitude does. Gratitude repels expectation gratitude is like wow honey you made me a cup of coffee and the wife is like i made i've been making you a cup of coffee for the last 3 years but wow you did it this morning thank you gratitude says i didn't expect it you didn't owe it to me and that is what great marriages understand And this is how you feel a healthy marriage. It is with a sense of gratitude because great couples, great marriages live under the assumption that they give each other everything but don't expect anything in return. Great marriages live under the assumption that they give each other everything but they don't expect anything in return. Ephesians chapter five, verse two says this. It says, live a life filled with love following the example of Christ. He loved us and he offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. And so Paul is writing this letter to a community of people in Ephesus. And in this one little phrase, what he is doing is he's helping to sort of create this portrait, a template of the type of love that Paul hopes would be seen in the Christian community. If you were a follower of Jesus, And he's painting this picture of the type of love that Jesus had for us, a love that was constant, a love that endured personal sacrifice for the sake of someone else. And I love this description in so many ways as it applies to the marriage relationship. Because what this does more than anything is it reminds me of the unconditional love that Jesus demonstrated to us this unmerited type of love. And that may be like the biggest thing that we have to overcome in our relationships, right? Is this compromise mentality. I did this for you, now you do it for me. I picked up the kids today, now you pick up the kids later. I took out the trash today, you take out the trash later. But when we look at Jesus's economy for love, it has nothing to do with what we have done for him, but it was this unconditional expression of love poured out to the world. And I love this about the life of Jesus, that he always exposes us to a better way. He always takes us a little bit deeper than where we could probably go ourselves. Because this compromise strategy is actually not a bad strategy, right? I mean, it makes sense. I'm going to serve you, you're going to serve me, we'll get along in a happy life. But Jesus sort of shatters that paradigm. And he doesn't make it conditional upon what you do for him. But his love has been expressed to you regardless of what you have done. In spite of what we have done. And so the challenge is that we would embrace this next level of love mentality. That we are not waiting to be served in our marriage. But regardless of the way that our spouse or the way that a significant other operates, we are going to operate with this level of commitment and gratitude toward another person. There was a story of a couple that wanted to get a divorce. They had been married for about 10 years. And the last five years were really just a horrible experience for them. Slowly, their interests begin to change. And over time, it was like two people who were married and lived together, but lived completely separate lives. They didn't do anything together. When they were home together, they barely talked. And so the wife sort of came to this point where she thought, why would we continue to endure in this suffering? Like, let's just get divorced and do our own thing. And so she goes to a divorce lawyer, and she explains to him her situation and how she's convinced she doesn't want to be in the marriage anymore. And as she's explaining it to him, the lawyer thinks that it's probably the best solution. And, um, and really, he hears about how horrible the husband has been treating this woman. And so he thinks, he said, let's devise a plan. I think that for the next 30 days, if, if we really want to hurt him, if we really want to make this divorce sting him, let's, uh, let's kind of go into it with a strategy. And for the next 30 days, what I want to challenge you to do is I want you to act kind to him. I want you to be generous to him. I want you to express gratitude to him, even for some of the littlest things. I want you to serve him when he doesn't expect it. And he said, for 30 days, I want you to do this. And at the end of it, we'll serve him the divorce papers. And it's going to really hurt. And she had built up so much anger and hatred toward him that she thought, yes, I really want to hurt him. And so one week passes by and she's serving him. She's maybe making him his favorite dinner, picking up stuff. And acting kind, and he's starting to notice. And he's wondering what's weird about this situation. <laughs> the next week goes by, she does the same thing, serving him, loving him. She's pointing out little expressions of gratitude all throughout the week about things that he's done that he didn't even know he did. And she's just acting really grateful about it. And, and really, he's starting to warm up to her attitude. Week three goes by, same thing, same pattern happens. Week four goes by and he is completely and madly in love with his wife again. And at the end of the 30 days, she goes back into the lawyer's office and she rips up her divorce papers. She says, we have actually both fallen back in love with each other. But that is the power of what that type of love can do in a relationship. A love that is not tit for tat, a love that is not interested in scorekeeping, and making sure that all of us have done the equal amount of work around the house, but a love that has decided that it will be consistent, that it will be sacrificial, and that it will be unconditional. So the question today is what is in your box and have you handed it off to someone else to carry? And I want to make sure And I want to make sure that the guys want to come back to this series. (laughs) So what I don't want to happen today is I don't even want you to talk about the message this morning when you get in your car. I don't want you to talk to your spouse and say, see, I told you. You need to be more grateful for what I do. I don't even want you to talk about it because this really is not about your spouse. This is not about your boyfriend or your girlfriend or your fiancé. This is about you. This is about identifying those things in your life, those hopes, dreams, and desires that you have placed on your spouse in marriage. It is about identifying those expectations that you have placed on other people. And just ask yourself, what's in my box? Who have I handed it off to? To remember that throughout the course of this series, this has less to do about being happy and more to do about how God wants to transform you from the inside out. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the opportunity to begin a conversation around some of the most important decisions that we will ever make in our life, and that is who we will commit our hearts to. God, I thank you that, God, you have given us a model and a picture for what true love actually looks like. And on our own, God, we can maybe conjure up a love that is functional, a love that is helpful, but without a model and a picture of true sacrificial love, It is impossible for us to understand how we could love someone in that way. God, I thank you for the picture of your son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for our sins, who sacrificed his love, not based on our merit, not based on our work, not based on the condition of our life, but simply because he loved you and he wanted to honor you and he longed for your creation, your people to be reunited and connected with you in relationship. And I love how you have made it so simple. Not easy, but you have made it simple. That your word says all we have to do is to trust and believe. To trust and obey. To trust that your son longs to be in relationship with us. And that life with Jesus is so much better than life on our own. That he always provides a better way in every sphere of life. God, today I pray for our marriages. I pray, God, that you would help us to begin to see how much the health of our marriage is dependent upon who we decide to be, how closely we decide to walk with you. And so, God, I pray that this week you would begin to expose and to reveal in our hearts the areas of our lives, God, that we have, we have placed on other people. And God, we know that you're going to do a special work in our lives. We thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.